team and thank you, Pastor Jeremy. Um, yeah, that idea of standing in two canoes makes me very uncomfortable. I really have poor balance, so that's not my idea of a good time, but it maybe is a picture of a little bit of what of what we do. I'm so glad to be with you guys here this morning. Uh, I've just really enjoyed what we've been doing all summer in our On the Road Again series and being able to travel and have people come and visit us as well. It's been it's been really fantastic. I actually have preached here one time before. Was anyone here for that? I preached on The Lion King, Summer at the Movies. Yeah, like three of you, awesome. Well, that's so good. Uh, so I'm, I'm glad to be back. And uh, I wanna, you know, as we've been talking about being on the road again, I wanna talk to you guys today a little bit about a journey that God has me on right now. And I'll be totally transparent with you. I have not completed the journey. I have not arrived yet, as one might say. Uh, but I'm humbly trying to listen to what God is saying. I'm asking questions and wanting to see where God leads me in this. And if it's okay with you, I'm going to share some of those questions, some of those uh, maybe half-baked thoughts that I've been having, some of those discoveries I've been having along the way with you here this morning. And, you know, because we are one church in multiple locations, we are, we are a church family, we are a community, we are a, a people who are seeking after relationship with God, heading in the same direction. I am confident that what some of God has been speaking to me will be maybe something that God is already speaking to you. And I actually heard from someone after the first service this morning who said that. And I also am confident that maybe if he's not speaking to you about this specific topic yet, that today might be a catalyst, a jumping off point to a journey that God wants to bring you on, maybe one that you didn't know you needed. So no matter where you are on this journey, I'm confident that God is going to speak and move today. Now, one of the things that I learned in Bible college many, many, many years ago in studying scripture and interpreting God's word and, and listening to his voice, one of the things that you have to pay attention to is those moments in scripture and in life when God seems to repeat himself. Do you know what I mean? When you're reading scripture and all of a sudden you see something that happens here and then you're reading a little bit later and then it happens again and then it happens again and he says the same thing. Or there's even, I don't know if you're familiar with, um, where's my note, Psalm 136. I don't know if you're familiar with this one. Let me give you a little taste. It says this, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. His love, guess what? endures forever. That's right. To him alone who does great wonders, his love endures forever. And you know what? It carries on and it does that 22 more times. The psalmist, he takes one line to mention or remind his readers of something that, has, that God has done, something to be thankful for, and then he finishes it up with saying his love endures forever. Let me ask you a question. Do you think he's trying to tell us something? Anybody? Yeah, he's trying to tell us something. He's trying to drive that point home. And so this is something that I have been taught uh, when reading scriptures and, and in my relationship with God. When God is repeating things, we need to pay attention. We need to take notice. 
And recently, I have gotten the very distinct impression and, and sense that God has been pointing me repeatedly toward the topic and the journey of Sabbath. It's come up in my scripture reading and multiple conversation in different places over the past like couple months. And so I felt like I needed to sit up and pay attention to what God might be trying to say to me and now also potentially to us. Now, what is Sabbath? I don't know about you, but I think Sabbath sounds like a very Bible-y, churchy word. Do you know what I mean? Sounds like a word that we might talk about in church, but have probably never heard anywhere outside of this place. And so we want to talk about what Sabbath is first. So Sabbath, if you're not familiar with it, is a God-designed day of rest. And we first hear about this idea, this concept, in the earliest days of creation. This is what it says in Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. It'll be on the screen here. And it says, Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing, so on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day, that's important, and made it holy, also important, because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. What does that mean, that he blessed it and made it holy? That sounds like more churchy, bible words, right? What it means is, the idea is that he set that day apart. He made it different from all the other days. He made it special. He made it sacred. And then if you skip along in, in scripture and you go to the next place where you encounter Sabbath, it's actually in the book of Exodus, the story of God rescuing his people from slavery in Egypt. And we're going to jump in in chapter 16, starting in verse 1. Here's what it says. The whole Israelite community set out from Elam, which came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, just in case you were wondering, on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve the entire assembly to death. The Israelites were wandering around in the desert trying to get to the promised land and they were grumbling. They were complaining. And you know what the real problem was? I'm going to let you in on a little secret. They were hangry. Has anyone here been hangry? Has anyone here been hangry today? Yes, I see. Oh, I see a couple hands. Yeah, we know what it's like to be hangry. We haven't had our food and it's lunchtime and we need to eat. Otherwise, we get a little hangry. And so the Israelites, you know, to put a comedic spin on it, were hangry. But they also had Stockholm Syndrome. And what is Stockholm Syndrome? Stockholm Syndrome is when you've been in captivity so long that you begin to feel more comfortable and more safe with your captor than you do in freedom. God had rescued his people miraculously, powerfully, and he brought them out of slavery. And they're looking back going, man, I wish I was still in Egypt. 
I wish I was still a slave. And they've like romanticized it. They're, they're imagining things that didn't happen. They're like, man, we had all the food we could eat in Egypt. No, you didn't. You were slaves. That's, they had Stockholm Syndrome. And then you combine it with being hangry, and it's just all downhill from there. So the Israelites were grumbling and grumbling and grumbling. Let's keep going on the story here, verses 4 and 5. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So God prepares a test for his people, an experiment, if you will. And the question is from God, will the people listen to my instructions and obey them. And in reality, the, the people weren't really grumbling against Moses and Aaron. I mean, they, they thought they were, but really, it wasn't Moses and Aaron who did the work, who did everything to get them out of Egypt. That was God. And so it was God who led them out. And so really, the people are grumbling and complaining against God. And then we see God's response. And, and when I thought about it, when I read it and I looked at it, I thought, man, this is a little bit weird. How many of us as parents, when our children grumble and complain against us, are like, yeah, sure, I'll give you what you want. How many of us, when we were kids, when we grumbled and complained against, uh, about our parents, and they were just, our parents were just like, yeah, absolutely, stay out till 1 a.m., take the car. I'll gas it up for you. Right? We're not familiar with the kind of response that God gives to his people. Because God's, God's response is, I am going to speak to you, and I'm going to provide for you miraculously. And we're kind of like, whoa, that is not what I was expecting. Why does he do this? I think there's like kind of a shallow reason, but then there's also a couple deeper reasons. And the shallow reason first is he does this, so they stop grumbling and complaining. Like, all right, be quiet. Like, leave me alone, right? And I think we can relate to that as parents sometimes because sometimes we do give in to grumbling and complaining. Right, kids? Yeah, that's what I thought. But the deeper reason... So that's on the surface. God wants him to stop complaining. But the deeper reason that God does this is in Exodus chapter 16, verses 11 and 12. Let's read that together. The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Oh, he's heard it. Tell them, at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. What? Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. The deeper why is that he wants his people to know who he is. He wants them to know him. And even a deeper, deeper version, a deeper, deeper answer of why God responded to his people the way that he did 
First, so they would know him, but secondly and deeper, so that they would trust him. God appears in this big cloud of smoke and he miraculously provides for them quail in the evening, meat that covers the ground of the camp. And then when they wake up in the morning, delicious honey flakes called manna. And then God gives them specific instructions on how to manage it. So we're going we're gonna to read that here in uh, verses 16 to 20. This is what the Lord has commanded. Everyone is to gather as much as they need. Take an omer, and hey, here's a bonus that the first service didn't get. I didn't know what an omer was, and now I do. So I'm going to tell you how much an omer is. Thanks to Pastor Faith who told me. An omer is equivalent to the volume of 43.2 chicken eggs. All right? So now you know. Like, I can't eat 43.2 chicken eggs. God is taking care of his people. Take an omer. Take 43.2 chicken eggs for each person that you have in your tent. The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some gathered little. And when they measured it by the omer, the one who gathered much did not have too much. The one who gathered little did not have too little. Everyone had gathered just as much as they had needed. And the next one. Then Moses said to them, no one is to keep any of it until morning. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until the morning, so it was full of maggots and began to smell. And Moses was angered, angered, angry with them. They're still living like people in captivity. People who don't know where their next meal will come from. Right? I've never been in prison, um, but I've seen TV shows about people who've been in prison and movies. And one of the things that gets portrayed in that is like a real sensitivity when it comes to your food. Right? How, how, do they be, how are they portrayed eating? Like with their arm around their food, protecting it, eating it, and then sometimes hiding some of it for later because they don't know or trust when their next meal is going to show up. Right? And so the the Israelites were living like they were still in captivity. They were, even though God was saying, hey, this is all you need. You only need an omer's worth. And they were like, I need like three omers. I'm just going to stick some in my pocket and take it for later. They weren't listening because they were still living like they were living in captivity. Okay? So they didn't follow God's instruction. Now, here's where the story ties into, into Sabbath. We're going to go to verse 21. Each morning, everyone gathered as much as they needed. And when the sun grew hot, it melted away. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much, two omers for each person. And the leaders of the community came and reported this to Moses. He said to them, this is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow is to be a day of Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil. Save whatever is left and keep it until morning. So they saved it until morning as Moses commanded, and it did not stink or get maggots in it, which is good, right? Eat it today, Moses said, because today is a Sabbath to the Lord. You will not find any of it on the ground today. Six days you were to gather it, but on the seventh uh, day, the Sabbath, there will not be any. Nevertheless, some of the people went out on the seventh day and tried to gather it, but they found none. 
Then the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commands and my instructions? Bear in mind that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. That is why on the sixth day he gives you bread for two days. Everyone is to stay where they are on the seventh day. No one is to go out. So the people rested on the seventh day. So at this point, you know, we heard about the Sabbath in creation. God institutes kind of a a Sabbath that in this time, in this moment, is like directly and intimately tied to their food. It's part of their meal planning for the week. Okay, so God says, I'm not going to provide food on this day. I want you to rest. So collect double on the sixth day and then take it easy on the seventh. But just a few chapters later in this very story of these very people, God makes it bigger. God takes Sabbath beyond just meal plan and he adds it, he brings it in to the Ten Commandments. Okay, this is what it says. This is God speaking and he says, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, your male or female servant. Notice it doesn't say wife there. It's a little weird, right? Just being funny. Come on now. Nor your animals, nor your foreigner uh, residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in it. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. Right? He's, he's taking it beyond the meal plan here. This is when, it's one of the Ten Commandments. This is where God is writing with his finger on stone tablets. This is putting it in the same company with do not murder and do not commit adultery. I don't know if you've thought of that before. And one of the best ways that I've heard the Ten Commandments explained and, and taught is that they show us how to best be in relationship with God and how to best be in relationship with one another. Okay, so let's start thinking through some of the Ten Commandments. What's the first one? You shall have no other gods before me. So then we think, okay, so God is saying that the best way to be in relationship with God is to not have any other gods before him. Makes sense. But it also helps our relationship with our neighbors, with our community. Because if we have other gods before him, and then we are living that way, and we are bringing other people into that practice as well. Because we are not isolated individuals, as much as some of us try to be isolated individuals. The second commandment, no idols. You shall have no idols. And so the best way to have a relationship with God is to have no idols. Again, makes sense. And then what about our community and our neighbors? If we have idols, it tempts you, tempts me, tempts us to worship elsewhere. And it will also make us, make it easier for us to blend in with the rest of the world. And God wants you, just like he wants the Sabbath day, to be set apart, to be different. Look at what it says in in 2 Peter here. Or 1 Peter, sorry. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into this wonderful light. You're not supposed to look and act and feel like everyone else around you. And so God says, if you follow these commandments, 
It's going to be the best way for you to be in relationship with me and in your neighbors. Let's talk one more. Do not kill. The best way to be in relationship with your neighbors is to not kill them. Can I get an amen? amen. Yeah. And because you're living in harmony with your neighbors and not killing them, you're living in harmony with God because he created your neighbors in his image and he loves them. And so he doesn't want you to kill them. The best way to be in relationship with God and in relationship with your neighbors is to live within the commandments that God gives. And now Sabbath. Sabbath is the same thing. It intersects our relationship with God and our relationship with our neighbors. Um, when we, at the end of the service today, Pastor Jeremy's going to talk about next steps. And we do that uh, in all of our services across all of our campuses. And one of our next steps is to connect. And when I talk about that in Lloydminster, I talk about how it is about how we connect with God and how we connect with our neighbors. So we talk about reading our Bible and praying and doing those things that build our relationship with God, but then also connecting with our neighbors and our friends and our loved ones through house parties and through mentorship and through whatever it is that allows you to build relationship with one another so that you can walk through life together. And Sabbath intersects both of those things. It's one of the things, again, that calls us to live in relationship with God and live in relationship with our neighbors. Well, how? Well, one, because by practicing Sabbath, we rest in God. We are refreshed in God. And how does it affect our neighbors, our community? Well, as you may remember me reading in the, in the Ten Commandment list that God gave, it wasn't just about you. It wasn't just, hey, you take a Sabbath. It was keep the Sabbath for you for your son, for your daughter, for your wife, for your neighbors, for the people who work for you. And even in one translation, it didn't say it in this one, it says for your donkey, right? It's to be for the entire community, everyone that you intersect with. And so Sabbath connects us with God and with our neighbors. However, like a good evangelical Bible scholar that I am, when talking about something and preaching about something that has its roots in the Old Testament, I have to ask this question. What does Jesus have to say about it? Right? That's, that's an important question. So I'd like to tell you what Jesus has to say about it. Let's go first to Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 and 22. You have heard it said, this is Jesus talking, this is a direct quote, You've heard it said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Okay. Let's go on to the next one, uh, verse 27 and 28. Jesus talking again. You have heard it said... You shall not commit adultery, but I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And you're all looking at me and saying, wait, oh, this is not about Sabbath. What kind of Bible scholar are you? Let's check this guy's credentials. But what I want you to see is that Jesus is not just concerned about our actions but also the heart behind them. Proverbs chapter 4. You've probably heard this verse a lot. But it says, above all else, above 
all else. Guard your heart for everything that you do flows out of it. If your heart is messed up, it will lead to these broken actions. If your heart is filled with hate, it's going to lead to murder. But you know what? Even if it doesn't, even if it doesn't lead to murder right away, it means that your heart is rotting you from the inside out and you're just trying to hide it. But there's no hiding it from God. And so Jesus is concerned with our hearts and our thoughts behind the action. So how does that translate with Sabbath? Right? So if hate equals murder and lust equals adultery, what does Sabbath equal? I believe that Sabbath equals trust. Now, I'm going to avoid um, a conversation here in this moment about how to practice Sabbath today and all the rules that get attached to it. It's not that I'm not thinking about these things. It's not that I don't have questions about these things. It's not that I haven't come to some conclusions about some of these things. But for the purpose of today's exploration, it's going to distract us. So I'm not going to now get into the nitty-gritty details and tell you everything that you can and cannot do to practice Sabbath. That's not the conversation today. But what I want to do is I want to pull out what I have seen so far as the principles of Sabbath practice and then allow us and you to go from there. Okay, Here, here's, what I, here's what I think we can agree on and see. The first thing, the first principle, is God created and commands Sabbath rest, and he modeled it for us in creation. That's, that's pretty non-argumentable, okay? That's a new word, by the way, argumentable. Write that down. The second principle that I've seen is that Sabbath is once a week. It's about rhythm. It's about doing the same thing at the same time every week. And not only do I believe that it's a weekly thing, I believe that Sabbath is supposed to be the same time every week. And here's why I've, I've come to this conclusion. Because if you can pick and choose when you want to do Sabbath, and you say, well, normally I would do my Sabbath on Wednesday, but I don't want to do it on Wednesday this week because there's a thing I want to do, and I wouldn't be able to do it if I held to my Sabbath. So this week I'm going to make it Thursday. But then next week I can't have it Wednesday either, so I'm going to make it Friday. And the week after that, maybe I'll get back to Wednesday. And then the week after that, it's going to be Saturday. If we start to practice Sabbath like this, then it disrupts the rhythm that God has created in us. But it also, from my point of view, becomes about what works best for us, not what's actually best for us. Which leads me into my next principle that is the least popular of all the principles of Sabbath that I'm going to tell you about today. I believe and see in scripture, and see in practice, in real life, that the practice of Sabbath is costly. Keeping the Sabbath, whatever that's going to look like for you, means that you will miss out on some things in life. If you decide that you want to do Sabbath on Saturdays, 
uh, you know, you're going to miss some things on Saturdays. And it could even affect your job. I have a friend, and he and his family have been exploring what it means to live Sabbath. And he has had to battle to keep Sabbath in spite of the job that he works. And he believes that God has called him to live this way and honor God with this and receive from God in this. And it's meant that he's had to put up boundaries that have affected him in work. But you know what also? God has moved on his behalf. And he's made it possible that this can be a thing that he can have as part of his job schedule. If you decide that you want to Sabbath on a certain day, it might mean that you miss out on some things. You can't do all the things that you want to do. But trusting God usually means that we have to let go of something in order to take hold of him and what he has for us. I want to say that again. Trusting God usually means that we have to let go of something else in order to take hold of him and what he has for us. Okay, I believe Sabbath is costly. But now I'm going to take you from that, you know, painful, uncomfortable principle and give you the good one, the nice one, the fuzzies. Sabbath is also a gift. Is anyone here tired? Yeah. Aren't we all tired? And we walk around and people ask us how we are and we say, oh, we're so busy. But really what we're saying is, gosh, I'm so tired. I have a guy that I work with and I, I talk to him every morning. I say, hey, man, how are you today? Oh, I'm tired. That's his literal response to me. Now, he stays up late every night playing video games till two in the morning. But, you know, that might be part of it. However, that's his response. And have you ever considered that maybe some of our tiredness, maybe some of the epidemic of burnout in our culture is not just about not getting enough sleep on the right mattress with the right pillow and a weighted blanket? Although I love weighted blankets. It might not be just about how many hours a week we spend at the gym or what we eat or how many vitamins we take or how many hours a week we work. Although I'm not discounting the value of considering those things and making healthy choices. But what I'm saying is, have we ever considered that the plague of tiredness that we are experiencing is because we are out of the rhythm of rest that God has designed us for? Have you ever considered that we are exhausted all the time because we don't practice Sabbath? And I'm, I'm, don't, I'm not just calling you out, I'm calling me out. This is what God has been saying to me. He's been putting these questions in my mind and my heart as I look around in my life and I'm like, oh, I have no energy. I'm so tired. I'm grumpy. Like, what, what am I missing, God? And he's saying, maybe it's this. So God is offering us a place and a moment of rest that we haven't tried in our quest for productivity and health. Sabbath, my friends, is a gift. 
Jesus gets challenged about his Sabbath practices by the religious guys, the the Pharisees. And this is what he says in Mark chapter 2. Then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord of even the Sabbath. He said to them, The Sabbath was made for man. God made the Sabbath, designed the Sabbath, created the Sabbath, gave you the Sabbath as a gift. And what we see in this is that the religious guys were missing the point and missing the heart of Sabbath. And maybe, just maybe, so have we. Maybe we've ignored the Sabbath. Maybe we've looked at it and we said, well, it's, it's not the Ten Commandments, it's the Eight Commandments and the two things that you only have to do if you feel like it. And you can try and figure out what you think I think the other one is. That can be your homework. Or maybe, maybe we feel like it's too religious. And here at Parallel, you know we don't like religion. We, don't, we, we throw that right out and we talk about relationship with God. And maybe sometimes things that get associated with religion, like Sabbath, might just get tossed out with it accidentally. Or maybe we've treated Sabbath like it's something for the weak. Ugh, you can't work 80 hours a week? You need a Sabbath? That's embarrassing. I've seen it. Or maybe it's the other way. And we take advantage of Sabbath and we, we, we take six days of Sabbath and work one day only. <laughs> That's what pastors do, right? We only work on Sundays. It's the rumor going around anyway. Or maybe we've taken advantage of Sabbath and, and, and do it in a way that we try and disconnect when Sabbath should be about making our connection to God and others even deeper. But as we come toward the end of our, our message this morning, let's get back to trust. If Sabbath is about trust, what does that look like? It means that we trust God that he knows and understands us best. So that if he tells us to rest, then we rest. It means that if we trust God, that if we stop working, that the world won't stop spinning or collapse without us. And you know what? I think that a lot of us, you know, we would say, yeah, obviously, duh, I know that. We know that up here, but if we look at our lives, probably for a lot of us, it doesn't show that we know that or believe that. If it's about trust, then we trust that if we rest in the ways and the rhythms that he created us to, that we will find refreshing and re-energizing to do the things that he has called us to do and to be the ones that he has created us to be. And then we trust God that he will fulfill and provide for us if we miss out on something or give something up in order to rest in him. Look, I, I'm not unaware that this is not easy. You know, I've, I've talked to a friend who's a business person and owns her own business, an entrepreneur, and they said to me, I, I can't take an extra day off from work. 
If I take an extra day off from work, that means I've got to pay my employees, I've got to do all these other things, and I'm going to lose income if I do that. I get it. It's not an easy choice. It's costly. I've already said that. But I think we need to be on a journey of discovery to figure out what it means for us to rest in the way that God wants us to rest and trust him that he's going to provide for us if we do what he calls us to do. It's not easy, but I think it's a journey that we want to be on. God wants you to know him, and he wants you to trust him. And one of the ways that he's designed this to happen is through Sabbath rest. Today's takeaway is this. The heart of Sabbath rest is trust. Um, a few years back, Pastor Kelly preached a message, and, uh, and something that he said really stuck with me, which, by the way, is like super awesome for preachers. If you come up to them like any amount of time later and say, hey, I remember when you said this, they go like, yes, something stuck. That's amazing. It's like the ultimate. So Pastor Kelly will get one of those from me. He was talking about tithing. He was talking about giving. And he said something along the lines of, you know, this is what God, this is, this is what God is calling us to. This is kind of the, the level. But I don't expect you to just all of a sudden get there tomorrow. And so maybe he said, what, what's your 1% more when it comes to giving? What's that next step that you can take to, to move toward the ultimate goal? What's that 1% more? And so that's the question I want to ask of us today as we think about tithing, or not about tithing, as we think about Sabbath. What's that next step in your journey that you can take to move toward the goal that God is calling you to? What's that 1% more of rest that you can find in your relationship with God? What's that 1% more of rest and trust that you can find? What's that next step? You know, I, I believe that there are things that I think God is going to show us as non-negotiables. It's like, this is, what, this is what you need to do in order to practice this well. But I also believe that there's freedom within that framework. And it's up to us, it's up to you, it's up to me to look into Scripture, to talk to God in prayer, to talk to your mentors, and those people that you trust and put it all together to find that healthy rhythm, healthy rhythm of Sabbath rest. What's that next step? What's that 1% more where you can find rest in God today? Let me pray for you. Dear God, we are so thankful today that you know us why do you know us? Because you created us. And as you created us, you put into us a need and a space and a value in rest. You modeled it for us. You called us to it. You commanded it. And God, we recognize that we have probably missed the boat a lot, myself especially included. And I think it's, it's easy for us to look around and see the consequences of that. And so God, today, my prayer is that we take another step closer 
to, to rest, to healing, to fulfillment, to re-energizing, and to trusting you. God, show us the way. Holy Spirit, guide us as we, as we go from this place today and into the days and weeks to come. I pray in Jesus' name. Now, if you're here today and, and you're new to church, maybe you're new to Jesus, and uh, or maybe you, you've heard a little bit about both of those things, but, but what you've heard today maybe is like, whoa, that's weird. That's not what I expected. Maybe there's a desire in you to have a relationship with the Jesus who we've talked about today, the one who doesn't expect you to work 80 hours a week nonstop, who doesn't expect you to sacrifice relationships and people and family for the sake of working until your wheels fall off. Maybe there's something appealing about a God who says, give me your burdens. I'm going to come alongside you. I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to help you carry those things. That is our Jesus. And so if you're here today and, and you've never begun a relationship with this Jesus, and that's something that as you sit here now is, is something that you feel that you want to take a step of doing, well, we want to invite you to do that this morning. So what I'm going to ask is I'm going to ask everyone to bow their heads and close their eyes. And I'm going to lead us in a prayer. And the prayer is not super magic words or anything like that. It's a prayer of acknowledgement. It's a prayer of confession. It's a prayer of thanks. And it's a prayer of invitation where you are inviting Jesus to be the one who leads and guides your steps in your life. And so what we'll do is I will pray the prayer and we'll do it repeat after me style. So I'll pray it and then you respond, repeat. And if you're here today and you wanna begin that relationship with Jesus, just pray these words with meaning in your heart and God will receive you and God will welcome you into his family today and into his rest. So let's pray. Dear Jesus, I confess that you are God. I believe that you rose again from the dead. I thank you that my sins have been forgiven, that my past is in the past, that I can begin a new life with you right now. Come into my life. Grant me rest. In Jesus' name, amen. If you said that prayer for the first time, we just want to take a minute and welcome you to the family of God. There's going to be a link dropped in the comments. Please go ahead and click it. We're going to have a gift that we want to send to you. We'd love to connect with you and just congratulate you and to let you know what this relationship with God is all about. Congratulations. That's the best decision you will ever make.